So today we finish an 11-week series titled Heavenly, but it's really just the beginning of heavenly realities in our life. The, even though this series is wrapping up, the, the mindsets and concepts of heavenly live for eternity. My challenge to all of you and those of you listening online would be to go back and listen to the messages on heavenly. We've taught about so many wonderful realities of bringing heaven to earth, starting with the heavenly father, which was probably my favorite message of them. Well, I couldn't even finish that message. It just fell to the ground weeping. Then we talked about the heavenly man, Jesus, and how he's a minister of life, different than the minister of death, Noah, I'm sorry, Adam, and through the sin of Adam and Eve and what that released into mankind. Then we talked about the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in our life and what the heavenly gift provides for us and releases into us so that we can minister and care for other people. We talked about heavenly places, the reality of living in two places at the same time, being seated at the right hand of God. We talked about uh, the heavenly vision and what it means to get a vision from God, what it means to be transformed and to get a plan and a purpose for your life moving forward. We talked about heavenly men and women of God. I happen to span both Mother's Day and Father's Day in this series. And so we talked about what heavenly men really look like and how they frame the future by faith. And they live always looking forward to the future. And about heavenly women, how important women are in ministry. And that I believe fully women can be pastors and ministers and leaders and are desperately needed in the body of Christ. And I'll go toe-to-toe with anybody doctrinally on that reality. We talked about uh, so many things. Heavenly wisdom, probably my second favorite message in the series. It was just so near and dear to my heart. And so all of these heavenly realities is this understanding of bringing heaven to earth. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so everything that I want from you and everything God wants from us is to live in a heavenly reality. And so today we're going to talk about the numerous facets of what a heavenly family looks like, both from a personal, private standpoint and an open public standpoint. So you have to understand that all of our lives have a micro and a macro reality, a micro and a macro reality. Micro meaning small, macro meaning big. I would say micro means public, I'm sorry, personal and private, and macro means public and in the open. So every one of us has to have a micro lifestyle hidden in Christ. What makes a man is not what happens in the public eye, it's what happens behind closed doors. And so I have to live a micro, personal, intimate small life, hidden life, private prayer life with Christ. I also have my family. And there's a lot of dynamics and components that happen with my family hidden behind closed doors. It's personal, it's private, but it's designed to come out of the personal and private and to be lived out loud. So in turn, we have our public corporate life. Now, church is not supposed to be corporate in the context of a business. I own multiple coffee shops and I don't run my coffee shop the same way I run the church. Why? The church is not a business. It's not a for-profit, in a sense, financial organization. It's a ministry life-giving organization that is serving under the head boss, 
the Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and in turn, he rewards and pays us accordingly. Now, we all have our part to give, but at the end of the day, I'm not working for you. I'm working for him. And it trickles down to you. You're not working for somebody else. You're working for the Lord. So even in your jobs, your ultimate boss is not your boss. Your ultimate boss is the man. And if you'll live your lives working honorable and integrous before him, which means serving the earthly boss that God puts under you, God will always take care of you and promote you and raise you up no matter where you're at. It's a principle of the kingdom that applies to everyone. So you can start at the very bottom working at McDonald's or as a busboy and move all the way up to owning a franchise. God has this way of supernaturally promoting you when you're faithful in the little and in the small things. He always, always works that way. And so God always wants us to have the hidden private lifestyle. From a priority standpoint, I first have to be healthy with Christ. I first have to abide in the secret place or dwell in the secret place so that I can abide under the shadow publicly. Psalm 91.1 is this picture of micro and macro. Hear me on this. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high will abide under the shadow. There's a shadow here. The worship is full of God's presence and this atmosphere is full of God's presence because of what happened before here. And I'm not living the life that I live for you and to just build a great church. I'm living it for Christ the King because he has a purpose and a plan and I want to give that away to everyone that I encounter. That happened in my heart long before I became a pastor. I've been preaching the gospel and loving people for almost 30 years now. And I didn't do it because of a title. I did it because of who God is inside of me. That's why we have this statement here. I'm not, you're not who you are. You aren't what you do. You do what you are. Right? And so what are you? You're a son first, a daughter first. And out of your relationship with God comes ministry and transfers of life to everyone that's around you. And so we have a micro and a macro component of our lives. Living in the context of micro and macro, you have to understand that Jesus and your family are first and front and center. From a biblical standpoint, if I don't take care of my family at home, I'll never be able to take care of this family here. And the first identifier to heavenly family is what's happening in your house. How's your marriage? Now, Amber, my wife and I aren't perfect, but we love each other deeply and we're so polar opposites in our personality, styles, preferences, but we're unified by Christ. And because of Christ and because we actually need our differences, our marriage is a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. So God puts you together with people that aren't just like you. So when you think about heavenly family, there has to be a diversity. The Bible talks about how we're a body. Some of you are hands, some of you are ears, eyes, noses, feet, toes, fingers. And so God puts people that are wildly different together for a common purpose. And that common purpose can only be accomplished when we're, we're united by the Holy Spirit. And that means that you have to get your needs and your desires first met from him. Okay, so when you come into the kingdom, if you don't find your value and get your needs met first by the Father, then you're never going to be satisfied with what somebody else provides and gives to you. It'll never be enough. You'll always need more. And when that person's not there, what happens? 
You can feel alone. You can feel like somebody doesn't care. You can feel isolated. But the truth is, is the father is always with you. He's always with you. And it doesn't mean that we don't need each other and that we shouldn't be there for each other. But when you're first getting your value and your needs met from the heavenly father, it changes the whole dynamics of what family looks like. And so that's first. But we also have a more public corporate life shared by all the members of a larger community. So I say it this way. It goes from the table or from the inner court or the inner room to the table, to the sanctuary, to the marketplace, and ultimately to the nations. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24. Now, I love this scripture because this scripture is set up by saying you did not come to a mountain that you can't touch. And in the Old Testament, in Exodus, you, the, the Israelites came to Mount Sinai and they were not allowed to touch the mountain. They were fearful. They were afraid. And biblically, if you touch that mountain, you would be shot with an arrow. Why? Because God was setting up a type and shadow to say that you will now only have access through his son, Jesus, and the blood. And now you've come to a different mountain, Mount Zion. You've come to a mountain that actually can be touched. So when you give your life to Christ, you now have access to a whole new reality and a whole new dimension of understanding. So let's read it. Hebrews 12, 22. You have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So let me break this down for you. First, you've come to a mountain, Mount Zion, that can be touched. You have access. You have access when you're born again, and you have access when you come into this family. Next, you come to a city, not a dead city, but a city of a living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's why we always have to be looking ahead to the city that God has prepared for us. You've come to a new place, a new city, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to an innumerable company of angels. Now, I'm not an angel hunter, just like I'm not a demon hunter. I just chase after God. I don't command or direct angels. I just know that they're here and I know they have a purpose. The Bible says that angels are ministering flames of fire that are his servants, that do his bidding. But I can sense and feel the presence of angels here. On Wednesday night at Supernormal Natural, the word came out right off the bat that there were angels all around us. I could feel them and I could see them. And some seers can actually see them in person. Now, I don't see them. I just sense them. But some people can see them. And so I'm not looking for angels. I'm looking for Jesus. But the Bible says when you come to this mountain, when you come to Mount Zion, you come to an innumerable, you can't even count the angels that are all around us. And they all have a purpose and it's a heavenly reality. So this message isn't designed to just teach you about what family should be. It's to teach you about the reality of a heavenly family on earth as it is in heaven. Next, we come to a general assembly. It's the global church all over the world. It's a festal celebration. You know what the word festal means? It's where we get the word feast and it's where we get the word festival. 
So the general assembly, the global body of Christ all over the world is a festal celebration, meaning we're rejoicing and celebrating in who God has made us to be. It means that we worship. It means we walk with an animated, joyous lifestyle, no matter what we're going through. It's, it's the joy of the Lord that becomes your strength. And it's an assembly, a group of people all over the world that no matter where you go, your family. So you can go to Asia, you can go to Africa, you can go to any continent in the world. And when you meet a born again Christian, they're part of your family. Now that doesn't mean that they don't have issues and struggles and maybe some warped doctrine. There's people out there that are genuinely born again that do not see things the way that we might understand and see things, but they're still in the family. Remember, when you get born again, it's your spirit that lines up together with the Lord's spirit. You become perfect. Notice the scripture says to per saints that have been made perfect. So when I see you, I'm not looking at your soul realm. I'm looking at your spirit. And then I see who you really are. Then I can direct and guide and help to bring healing to your soul realm. Ever met an angry Christian? Yeah. Ever met a Christian struggling with addiction? Ever met a Christian that's got broken relationships? Why? They're perfect in the sense that they've given their lives to Christ and their spirit's now one with the Lord and they're seated with God in heavenly places, but it's their soul realm that the Holy Spirit comes and begins to work on and bring transformation to. And that takes time. That's why we have to be patient. And that's why we also have to understand that when God calls you, when God takes a priest out from men, all of us are subject to weakness. Why? So that we would have sympathy and compassion on those we're ministering to and that we would never fall into pride. That's the problem with, with a religious earthly family is that they esteem themselves better instead of esteeming other people better. So God has this way of always making sure we never become haughty and cocky and more prideful than we ought to be because we're all discovering and working through struggles and challenges uniquely. So all those leaders you saw, we don't esteem them on pedestals. We understand that they love well, but they're not idols. We don't idolize pastors and idolize ministry leaders. We look to Jesus as our source and we allow other people in the government of God to bring life and healing to us. You know, the greatest title in the kingdom is not elder, bishop, deacon, pastor, apostle. The greatest title in the kingdom is mama and papa. So every leader has to have a mothering and a fathering heart inside of them. And that's what makes a family heavenly. But if you have unresolved issues and unmet needs, and you're always looking to somebody else to do that, you're never going to be satisfied. I'm going to say it again. When is enough enough? Now I have people to lean on. I have fathers, mothers, and I have people that hold me accountable. But 99% of the time, I'm hooked to the vine and my source is coming from him. In turn, I'm never offended. I'm never mad. At, I mean, I might get angry, but I don't sin in my anger. I don't allow offenses. I'm forgiving. I've had people in this church just send me scathing. Family members send me scathing text messages about all their issues. And I just keep loving them and caring for them. And sometimes they leave. And when they come back, I don't tell them like, man, you can't come back until you apologize. I just love them really well and let Jesus do what Jesus does best. I have to allow myself to not get offended and to not 
fall into selfish ambition. But the only way that you're ever going to do that is if you're hooked to the vine full time, full time. So that's that micro life that we live in. But when you come to this mountain, you come to people that are registered, whose names are registered in heaven. They're enrolled, listed, and accepted together with you. Um, we sold a couple goats recently, and I'd like to just praise God for selling the goats because I'm like, my wife has had this bad habit of buying animals that I take care of. So we had these uh, goats that were just tearing all our fences down and sweet goats, but costing me money and getting little to no return. So we posted them on Craigslist and here comes a couple guys and I'm telling you straight out of the hood, straight out of prison. Tattoos everywhere, pot leaves all over their clothes. One of them didn't speak any English and the other guy's interpreting and they're in an old beat up car sitting out in front of my house. All my neighbors were calling like, hey, there's a couple guys out in front of your house. I said, oh yeah, they're, they're here to buy the goats. <laughs> so I come out and you know, I'm not, I don't walk in any fear. And I love everybody equally, no matter who they are. You need to know that. I've been in prison. I don't care if you're tatted up. I don't care where you've been. Addiction, struggles, challenges, been there. We're going to love you just the same. Okay? And so these guys come in. I invite them in and we pull around to the back and the one gets out of the car and he's the one that speaks English and his pants are down here to his knees. And I'm like, how you doing, man? He goes, not good. I'm like, okay, you want to talk about it? He goes, no. I said, okay. I said, well, if you do, I'm a pastor. He looks at me, he goes, you're a pastor? I said, yeah. And he just starts crying. And he says, my grandpa just, I just got news that my grandpa just fell and died and hit his head. And he was the only family member that I had left. Amber's peering out the window in the back. I got goats running around. I'm laying hands. My kids are there. We're laying hands on him. And you pray for him. His name's Christian. Laying hands on him. He's crying. And then I tell him about the heavenly family and that he's not alone. See, the deceptive lie is that you feel that you're alone. And so when I feel alone, I feel like I have to have somebody else to be there, but you don't. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be there, but I'm making a bigger point. Heavenly family get their needs met from a heavenly father. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Jesus is a heavenly man ministering heavenly life and we have a heavenly gift. This whole series has been designed to get you to live a heavenly reality, which means I'm never angry, offended. I mean, angry in the context of sinning. It means I love you no matter what. You know, I've met with people in my office counseling and I have had people in this church cuss me out to my face. No, don't feel bad. I would rather them do it to my face than on Facebook. That's the first thing. Second of all, if they're saying it, it means they're getting it out. I'm not afraid of conflict. If conflict resolution done right is needed, because if it's done right, it leads to forgiveness. And if somebody manifests in the flesh, get it out. Because I know my heart's right. I know that I may not do it all right. And these leaders, they don't do it all right, but it's a family. But family looks different than what earthly family looks like. Heavenly family looks different. You know, I asked a a spiritual father to me in this house, Prophet Kevin Leal. I said, help me to understand spiritual fathering. He said, well, you can't fix missing. You can only replace it with the heavenly father. 
And if somebody doesn't replace what was missing, because the challenge is, is most people, when you think of spiritual parenting or fathers and mothers, what you missed, they want to have back. But see, God is the restorer of all things in his way and his time. So people are like, well, let's go fishing, have coffee, hang out. And, and I don't have the capacity for that. And at some point you won't either. Your capacity is only so wide. There's only so many people you're going to actually be able to take care of. That's why the kingdom principle is to give away what God's given to you. Let's say this together. Say, do what you do best and delegate the rest. So Jesus would take bread, break it, give thanks. God would provide the bread through a child, which is powerful. And then what would he do? He would hand it to his disciples when P- and say, spread them out in groups of 50, 5,000 people. And the disciples did the work. When Peter was restored, how was Peter restored? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Feed my sheep. So the principle of the kingdom is broken, hurting people that are unheavenly come in. We bring life and transformation to them to make them heavenly. And then now they become dependent on the source so that they can give it away to others. Man-made religion makes people dependent on the pastor or on the leaders. But the kingdom of God and heavenly families dependent upon the heavenly father. Isn't that so freeing? The challenge is, is many of us come with residue from past churches and past experiences where we put people on pedestals. Listen, I am in the trenches of fighting for my life right now. And not just my life, I'm fighting for a little girl's life. And I got two, six little eyes looking at me every day that so desperately need a father to point them and show them the way. And then I have my wife and then I have my health and then I have my own secret hidden place life. And then I have businesses and then I have a church. My capacity is designed to need you desperately. I need you, you need me in the context of going to the source and giving it away to other people. Think about Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, it, it, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that there are five ministry offices. Okay? Five ministry offices. It takes five to stay alive. If all of us were evangelists, we'd have a problem in this house. Because nobody would take care of them. We'd get them saved and leave them alone. If all of us were teachers, if all of us were prophets, if all of us were pastors, if all of us were apostles. The point is, is that God has a design for us all to work together. God has a design for all of us to have a purpose to grow people up into Christ. So think about the fivefold. The purpose of the fivefold is to train and equip people for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry. My seven-year-old son, he doesn't want to lift a finger and work. I mean, seriously. It's like he doesn't want to clean his room. He doesn't want to take out the trash. I'm like, son, clean this, do this. Uh, uh, But I have to teach him discipline to work. Otherwise, he'll have an entitlement mentality and it'll be all about him. You have to teach children work ethic early. So why do we teach people to work and why do we work in a heavenly family? For the purposes of Christ and to grow up into Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 4. So in the body of Christ, we come together with those that are registered in heaven, enrolled, listed, and accepted together. We all have a blood-stained ticket, and now because of that, we're all seated at the right hand of God. Our names are registered in heaven, and now we become family. If you're born again, I'm your brother, I'm your friend, whether you like it or not. And vice versa, despite all of our issues. Right? 
So we also come to God, the father and judge of all. We come to the spirits of just men made perfect. You're perfect if you're born again in the spirit. You're not maybe in your flesh and maybe you're acting out and combusting, but we have to love just the same. We're all in the fight together. I'm subject to weakness too. That's why we have compassion on one another. That's why we prefer one another. We come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is not mediating death. He's mediating life. It's a new covenant. So when you come to the mountain, Jesus is always fighting for you. He's always fighting for you. He's always reaching out and crying out and saying, I love you. I want you. You're my son. You're my daughter. He's always fighting on your behalf. And then you come to the blood that's speaking something better. The blood of Abel, not the blood of Abel. It's verse 24. What is the blood of Abel? Some of you don't know the story, but basically Abel killed Cain, his brother, because the sacrifice that he was bringing to God wasn't accepted. There was selfishness, selfish ambition. There were all kinds of issues in Abel's heart. I'm sorry, in Cain's heart. I got it backwards. In Cain's heart. And so the word that God is speaking out is better than that word. It's not a it's not a cry of vengeance. It's not a cry of hatred. It's a cry of perfect love. It's a cry of forgiveness. And so this is what we come to when we come into the kingdom. Just men made perfect, a festal gathering, numerous angels all around, massive forgiveness, people registered with expectation of what's coming, looking ahead to the city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the reality of Jesus as a fighter on our behalf, and a father that judges accurately because he's just and he loves so well. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So because we see the day approaching, so much more should we be stirring one another up to love and good works. That's why we all work. That's why we all do things to build a house, but we're doing it by stirring one another up in love and knowing that the day is approaching. And I don't want anybody to be hanging out in the club in the middle of the night when Jesus comes back. I want you to be either rested, sleeping, listening, waiting, and watching. Not in fear, not in worry, and not living in the world. That's what I want. So the day's approaching. So we have to stir one another up in love and we have to stir one another up in good works. But we also have to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When I gave my life to the Lord in, two, in uh, 1993, almost 30 years ago, I've never had a season where I've taken a break from church. And I've been in some messy churchy situations. I've been called names. I've seen my friends all leave. I've seen difficulties and hardships. And, but you know what? I loved well because God was looking at me. And instead of getting offended in what other people did, I always looked to him so I could get an answer for them. And I never took it personally. Everybody has to go through their souls. Everybody has to go through their hardships and difficulties because the test is on you. The test is on me. And in 30 years, I've made the decision to never look back. I don't, I've ne rarely ever missed church services. 
I always stay the course no matter what. And I don't just tell people when they get born again, just go to any church because there's a lot of dysfunctional churches out there. But you got to find a remnant church wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, wherever you're listening from. You got to find a church that is a remnant church that understands the garden, understands the garden commission, the great commission that walks in family, that's not valuing people based on their money and what they do, but values people based on who they are. So we never forsake the assembling. This word assembly means a large corporate gathering. That's the macro component of it. It's this understanding that we need each other. It's this understanding that we love each other perfectly. That's why I say, come with all your stuff. I'll take you as you are. Living in sin, compromise, falling short, angry, mad. I'll take you just the way that you are. Now, if you become toxic and cancerous, it's a different story. But in all my years of pastoring, there's only been a few people that have really become toxic and cancerous that have had to say, you can't come back to this house. Uh, Literally, I can count them under my hand. Now, I've had some people here get toxic and cancerous for a moment. But through love, forgiveness, and conversations, and running to the Father, and me not manifesting back on you, there's been healing and forgiveness, and you're still here, and I'm proud of you. I'm very proud of you. I'll be the first to forgive. I know that I don't do it all right, but I want to, and my heart's right, and I believe yours is too. So we never forsake the assembling of ourselves together, and we exhort one another. How? Publicly. That's why prophecy is so important in a heavenly family. That's why I can look at you all right now, every single one of you, and I get a download from the Lord. I can prophesy what God's saying from heaven into your heart. Now, imagine if I wasn't the only guy doing it, but we all were. Imagine when people hurting and broken walk into this house and suddenly the spirit of prophecy is everywhere. There's life giving in the altar, life giving in the worship, life giving in the message, life giving in the person sitting next to you. If you can just come out of shame and hiding, you know what the Bible says? If you walk in the light as he's in the light, we have true koinonia fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. Why? Because I'm in the light. That's why I say there's no shame in your sin, man. There's no shame in your shortcoming. We all had to overcome somehow, some way, right? It's the religious system that brings condemnation and fear and worry, making you feel less than, and I'm the mighty man of God. Take me off the pedestal. I'm here to serve you underneath. It's bottom-up leadership. I'm here to push you by the hindsight and say, get moving. And sometimes it's, you might need a spanking, but it's, you got to get moving into what God's got for you. Right? So consider one another. Early disciples had both a macro, a micro, and a macro family lifestyle. We're talking about heavenly family today. And we're talking about this dynamic that what really makes family in public is what happens with family in private. From your inner court or your bedroom or your prayer closet to the table to a house, from table to table and house to house, the early disciples continuously met privately in small groups at homes, but they also met publicly. After Jesus ascended to heaven in Luke chapter 24, verse 52 and 53, we read this. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Yes. 
I, I almost believe that God does it by design where he puts a bunch of us together that are in process and discovery and have shortcomings. You know, when, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was so on fire. Last week, I talked about how I waited tables at Steak and Ale, and I went from trading pot for side work to preaching the gospel and taking people's side work for free and staying late. I shared about that last week. But I learned through table waiting what it really means to take care of people. I learned from table waiting what it really means to celebrate other people's lives. I learned from table waiting what it really means to take care of people and to serve people at all times, no matter what. But I never backed down. I never backed down. And so I would praise God in the restaurant. I would praise God when I'm picking up food. I would praise God when I'm serving people food. I was flamed on and on fire for the Lord. And I started going to church and I never, ever looked back. Did I make a lot of mistakes? Yes. Did I do some sleeping around? Yes. Did I go to the clubs at night? Yes. Did I get high and pray in tongues? Yes. Did God lead me through discovery in the process to make me the man I am today? Yes. Did I give up? Do I do those things now? But I once did. And so we understand that there's great joy and we continuous, like I just went to church. You know, the first church I went to, the pastor's last name was Fluke. I should have known better. He had keys in his pocket, and every time he'd pray for somebody, he'd jingle the keys as if there was a move of God happening. It was weird. But you know what's where God called me? And up front on that stage was a pair of congas. I had only played in reggae bands and nightclubs, and there I am in a crazy church, flags, banners, and people laid out on the floor. But God did it by design, and he said, now are you going to praise me here? I said, yes, I will. And then I went through multiple churches and he stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from the church. I never got offended, said all pastors are jacked up. Instead, I stayed the, and I stayed continuous because I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. Yes. We're not man pleasers. We're God pleasers. So you're not coming to church in a sense for somebody else. You first come for him and then God does something through you for somebody else. That's what heavenly family looks like. So I'm going to give you some keys to what I feel like heavenly family looks like. You've come to this mountain. You've come to a family. You've come to angels. Just people made perfect. You've come to a general assembly all over the world. There's a global church of God. And they're your brothers and sisters everywhere. That Christian, when he showed up at my house to buy those goats, it didn't matter what he looked like. People look at the outside. God looks at the heart. I'm looking at your heart. I don't care about... Your faces don't lie, typically, and I'm really good at reading people. I don't care. I'm looking in, on the inside. You have to see the way God sees. If, I, if we want to call people's mail out and bust them up for their stuff, you're not a God cop. Perfect love covers a multitude of sins. If God's covering you, I'm going to cover you. I'm not out to expose you and shame you. Most people already know their issues. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> How, what about if heavenly family comes from a heavenly reality that loves perfectly that's not offended it's not sizing you up and measuring you up and it doesn't mean we don't bring measurement 
if I don't correct my son, he'll wind up in prison or dead or just like me. And if I don't bring life from the heavenly father, the supernatural, he'll think the force is real. (laughs) There's a better force, the Holy Spirit. So I have to teach him there's the force of the Holy Ghost. Seriously. You guys doing okay? This is a heavenly family. Last Wednesday night, man, it was beautiful. The spirit of prophecy here, the worship. I don't, what Mark said and did today and the song that came out and the worship team, it's, just, it's pure, it's beautiful. And there's an atmosphere that's electrically charged. And at some point, you're going to have to realize, no, you won't be enough, but Jesus is enough. And the person next to you won't be enough. Jesus is enough. In fact, I can love my wife when she's not enough because Jesus is my enough. The heavenly reality of family is on earth as it is in, family, in heaven. So what does family look like from a heavenly perspective? The Bible says that There's a lot of things happening in heaven. You have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the angels, the cherubim, and the seraphim, the 24 elders, the patriarchs, and the multitudes like a sea of glass. And you have this incredible, continuous worship service that's going on in heaven. 1 John 5, 7 through 8 says there's three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. So God says on earth as it is in heaven, three bearing witness in heaven, three bearing witness on earth. And then he says in Matthew 18, if two of you come together and agree as to anything in my name, the heavenly Father will hear and do, and I'll always be in the midst. Because we're being like they are. And the thing that makes us unified is not our diversity and difference. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that's all I care about. And I care so much not about what you do or your money or your talents or your gifts or your abilities. I care about what's on the inside. So I can be one with you. I can be one with you because of the blood and because of the Lord. So now I'm not judging you. I'm loving you. No matter who you are. No matter what you're doing. No matter where you're at. Why? Because if I can come into agreement with you, despite our differences, I become like the three that bear witness. And now the father answers and Jesus is in the midst because he's looking at me to love you perfectly. So now I'm not putting any demand on you. I'm loving you for who you are. I may challenge you to live differently, but I'm not putting any extra demand. There's no weird religious thing. It's be true to who you are. Be true to the Holy Spirit. And as you become a life-giving force in Christ, then suddenly we enter into a new dynamic of relationship in the Bible calls it koinonia. It's benefactory love. But can you imagine if everybody was dialed into the heavenly father? And it doesn't mean again that we don't cry together, weep together and comfort one another. It doesn't mean that we don't get in the trenches with one another. It doesn't mean we don't go to hospitals and it doesn't mean that we don't fight together. But what it does mean is we're raising a family that's hooked to the vine. My children have to learn to get dependent on Jesus or they'll always be dependent on me. And then they'll be raised with the silver spoon in their mouth. Where's my iPad? Why didn't I get this? How come I, where's this? Where's that? How come if they don't learn 
learn to work and value. That's the same way in a heavenly family. You got a job to do, bro. You're a fighter, man. You're gifted and talented. You got to pull people out of the gates of hell and darkness. And so fathers and mothers can point it out and see it inside of everybody and not looking at your current situation. If you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. But you got to step into the light. If you'll walk in the light as he's in the light, we'll have true koinonia and the blood is covering us. What does that mean? It's it's the blood of massive forgiveness. Massive forgiveness. How many times? Every 2.8 seconds. 70 times 7 in one day is every 2.8 seconds. I'm always forgiving. Always forgiving. Always forgiving. Now, if you knew you were in a safe house and an atmosphere of forgiving, that's real family, then you would just be honest. And it's like, hey, I don't know that God's real. I don't really believe it. And I'm living like the devil. That's all right, bro. Just keep showing up. He'll show himself to you. Come here. I was once there. God's a good God. He's a God of process. Instead of trying to fix you and change you. I used to shoot in pool tournaments in Tulsa when I was going to ORU. And I would drink cranberry juices at the pool tournaments until one in the morning. And I would beat everybody. Seriously. Now they were drinking margaritas. And, but I would win these tournaments. And I, I made some really deep friendships and led a lot of people to the Lord. That was my early days of outreach and evangelism. And so one time a couple strippers were passing through town and they were doing like a stripper tour and they would go town to town, club to club, two girls. And uh, this guy that I would shoot pool with, he knew that I was a born again Christian because I talked to him about the Lord all the time. But he was stuck in my story of my past of being a pot dealer and drugs. And for some odd reason, he didn't compute that I'm still not that guy. So when the strippers came along to the pool hall, I wasn't there that night. He calls me up and he says, hey, I met these two strippers. They want to, I want to introduce you and we want to party. I'm like, dude, I told you that's not who I am. He goes, well, we're at the gate and they're pressing the button to get into my apartment complex. I'm, I'm literally in my pajamas on a Friday night at eight o'clock at night cleaning my house. (laughs) And so he's like, we're coming in, open the gate, open the gate. I'm like... I looked up to the Lord and I heard the Lord say, open the gate. So here comes this guy from the pool hall with two stripper girls to my apartment on a Friday night. Now in my apartment, I had all kinds of God stuff, prophetic paintings and pictures and all kinds of things. That's a long time ago. And I thought, well, I don't want to be so overbearing. So I took a couple of my pictures and I turned them down and I took one thing and it says, as for me and my house will serve the Lord. I turned it to the side a little bit, right? Cause I wanted to minister to him, but not be awkward or whatever was going to happen. And so I open up the door and one of the girls that walks in, she walks in and she, you know, says hi. And she looks and she could see the picture I turned. And she runs over and says, oh my gosh, look, look at this. And then she looks at me and says, are you a Christian? (laughs) Now the old me would have been like, no, let's party. But the new me was like, yes, I am. She's like, oh my gosh, it's so good to meet you. I grew up a Christian and da, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. And then my friend says, it's time to go. Like he was ready to get out. He didn't want to stay a minute longer as soon as that conversation started to happen. He was ready to party. 
So I said, well, listen, they were kind of milling around and I said, well, you guys are welcome to stay or go, but I got to go get some laundry from the little laundromat in my apartment complex. And that one girl says, can I go with you? I said, yeah, you can go with me. So we go to the little, we walk over the laundromat and I just start telling her all about the Lord because I already knew the door was open. And she stops me as I'm pulling clothes out. She says, are you high? I said, no, why? She goes, your eyes are so dilated and the way you're talking to me, it's like so full of life and joy. Are you high? I said, no, I'm not high on drugs, but I'm high on the most high. And she said, I want what you have. I said, well, listen, you need to come to church tomorrow. And I gave her the name. We had Tommy Tenney preaching at the church that next morning. And so the next morning, church is packed. It goes really long. And at the end, there's a girl up on the uh, altar in a little tiny mini skirt crying. And I didn't even know it was her until everybody had left. The service went like three hours and she had given her life to the Lord in her mini skirt. And then afterwards she said, I don't want to do this life anymore. And she turned around and drove back home only to find out she was pregnant and wound up raising her children, her family in all that the Lord has had for them because of that encounter. So what I want to say to you there's so much to say in that and I'm going to run out of time, but the premise is, is if you'll stay in position and make sacrifice, God will set up divine encounters for you. God will set up divine encounters for you. And so God wants us to be in agreement. God wants us to be unified. And that's the picture of what heavenly realities look like in a heavenly family. I get it. Can you imagine if we did doctrine interviews in this church of, of what y'all believed and what I teach and believe? The truth is, is we probably have a lot of differences, but we're united by Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And so we don't judge anybody erroneously. We only compare spiritual to spiritual. Heavenly families are those who do the will of my father or our father in heaven. Matthew 12, 48 and 50. Jesus is in the house. Peter's mom's house. He's ministering to people. Here comes his mother and his brothers. And they say, I'm going to paraphrase it for you. He's lost his mind. Even Jesus' own family came against him and said, he's crazy. He's out of his mind. And then the disciples say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. And he says, who are my mother and brothers and family and sisters? He says, those who do the will of my father in heaven. So here's what I want to say to you. My best and deepest friendships and relationships are with people that are doing the will of the father in heaven. Why? Because they're easy. <laughs> Seriously. And it doesn't mean we don't do hard relationships and fight, but I'm going to say something. Imagine if we were all walking in the will of the father in heaven. Imagine the level of unity. Because there's, I'm not putting a demand. I'm putting love and care. There's no false expectations or selfish ambitions. That's why you got to stay hooked to the vine. That's why you got to do the will of your father in heaven. That's what makes real family heavenly. Heavenly family are leaders to the world around them and they have expectations in their standard of living. In Exodus 18, there were three standards put in place for anybody to be a leader in the family of God. Here's what they are. They fear God, they hate covetousness, and they're men and women of truth. And then they, uh, Moses was to put them over what their capacity was, fives, tens, fifteens, twenties, thousands. Do you know where I got my start? 
in prison. You know how I learned the Bible? I became a master tutor till illiterates. 30% of prison population can't read. So my job in prison was to teach people how to read. So during the day, I would teach them, you know, phonics and all the stuff that I, you know, learned as a master tutor. And then they would say to me, can you teach me to read the Bible? And I said, I don't know the Bible. And they said, well, neither do we. I said, well, let's learn it together. So I actually learned the Bible a year in prison. It was literally Bible school for me. That's why I tell you, prison was great for me. It really was. I learned the word and I started by discipling a small group of inmates that didn't know how to read. That was my start. And as soon as I got out of prison, I flamed on and I never looked back. I served, I cared, I loved, and I had all kinds of reasons, but I was so hooked to the heavenly father that I never looked back. So never despise small beginnings. Start small somewhere. God is a God of promotion. He wants to expand you and promote you. It's the desire of his heart. But be a man of, man of truth and hate covetousness. I think covetousness is one of the number one things that divides a church apart. You have something I want and you didn't give it to me. Whether that's your time, your talents, your finances, your resources. I had an expectation of you and you weren't there. I had a couple that I loved deeply leave the, leave the church because... Uh, there, a family member died that does not go to this church and the funeral was at a time that I couldn't go but I text nine times and sent someone else but that wasn't enough and I just have to realize I'm not ever going to be enough but Jesus is and neither will you you only have so much of a capacity we have to stop getting offended with one another and we have to do the best and love well and understand that people will fail you. Let God be true and every man a liar. And if we can live in this reality in heavenly family, if I can love you for who you are, the way you are, God will do miraculous, wondrous things. So we have these expectations. Fear God, hate covetousness, and be men of truth. There's qualifications for deacons, elders, bishops. You have to stay hooked to the vine, eat from the tree of life not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No more unrealistic expectations. We don't live in offense. We have a heavenly father and a heavenly son dependency. We're spirit led at all times. We're friends of God. We have perfect love without fear and selfish ambition. No unmet needs and unresolved issues. We esteem others and we love others as ourselves. And that's why because we fall short in these things, judgment starts with you and me. The Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 17, judgment starts here. It starts in your home and with God's people. The time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel of God? Not good. That's why it has to start here because we're the contrast. The world comes into a heavenly family that prophesies and is full of the spirit and full of power to bring them up and out of their unheavenly reality. Heavenly family moves in the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit and the offices of heaven. That's why we should all prophesy. Because if you're prophesying, you're hearing the voice of the Lord accurately and you're speaking what God says to speak. And last, I'll leave you with this. Heavenly family. What would it look like if we were a true heavenly family on earth as it is in heaven? This is what my wife wrote me. Family members would be sanctified, set apart, 
from the world. You're not of this world anymore. You have to look differently than the world. We act and love differently because Jesus is in us. The standard that's set for the family of God is so high and different than the, fa- the, the what the world standards are. We have to not look like the world, act like the world, sound like the world, come out from among them, be sanctified and be separated. We have to prefer others above ourselves. Be humble. Believe the best in others. I believe the best in you. I really do. No matter what you do and say, no matter how hard it is, no matter how much you manifest, because Jesus believed the best in me. We We live rested lives that are full of peace. We're content and satisfied. We're fruitful, life giving, and joy filled. So how do we do that in a practical way? My wife says, we have accountability. We stay the course. We allow God to do the sanctification. We die to self. We show up, we grow up, and we give the supply away that God has given to us. We give our talents and gifts away to other people. I would make 10 times the amount of money that I make here if I just did coffee shops. 10 times, but it's not about money. I'd be miserable. I have to answer the call and so do you. And a heavenly family is full of the spirit. We all prophesy. We embrace the supernatural. We lay hands on the sick. We get unified no matter how different and how diverse we are, no matter your struggle or your challenge. And we continue to show up no matter what. And we love people no matter where they're at. And we let God be God. And we're not God cops, but we're here to measure you if you want it. And if you step in the light, we'll help each other, not tear each other down. We don't live in offenses and we get our, our source and life from the true source. And then I'll leave you with this last scripture, Psalm 68, five and six, my favorite scriptures about family. God is a defender of the fatherless. God fights for the widow. God fights for those that are in bondage. God fights for those that don't know him. He sets the lonely and the isolated into families. He has a family. And you know what? I can't come to your house tonight. I can't meet you maybe for coffee tomorrow, but you know what I can do? I can meet you here every single week, sometimes twice a week. And I can build a house and build a family that loves and cares. And I can empower somebody else to meet you for coffee because everybody's got to start somewhere. And instead of looking for big titles and positions, why don't we just show up at the prison? We have a prison ministry here. We have a jail ministry here. Maybe it's come and serve somebody. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Go low, man. Go real low. Make yourself of no reputation and watch what God does. God sits the lonely in the eye. And you know what? You're never alone. And many times God will have you feel like you're alone. You know why? So that you'll be dependent on him. And when you say no one's there for me, God's always there for you. And you know, one time Elijah said, God, just kill me now. Spirit of suicide and depression. God, just take me out. I'm the only prophet left. And the Lord's like, you didn't even know that I had 7,000 prophets reserved. You're never actually alone. You may feel lonely at times, but God is our source. And we have a family that loves, that moves in the power of God, that brings life and healing supernaturally in this house. We've built a house together. This is your house. 
This isn't my house. I couldn't have done this in my best day, owning a shopping center in Flower Bluff at Waldron SPID. Our church was 225 people with $20,000 in the bank. God did it. And he can do it for you. This is ours. This is us. This is a heavenly family and a heavenly house. Now make your home a heavenly family. All right? Let's all stand. Let me have my prayer partners come up, my ministry team come up. And if you want somebody to pray for you, you're going to have to grab your kids because I've gone long. I'll dismiss you here in a minute to grab your kids. But if you're hurting, broken, isolated, alone, sick, struggling, we want to pray for you today. So if you need prayer, I don't want you to leave. Let somebody stand with you. If you're struggling, step into the light. Let somebody lay hands on you and stand together with you, okay? We're building a heavenly family. God's building a heavenly family all over the earth, and we're a part of it. So, Lord, I just thank you so much for everybody that's here today and everybody that's been listening online. Thank you, God, for their lives, and thank you, God, for helping us to have healthy homes, healthy hearts, and to love one another perfectly. Thank you, Jesus, for your kindness and mercy and grace. Thank you, God, for uniting us by your Spirit. And today, as people come for prayer, anybody that needs healing, Lord, we ask for supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles to pour out of this house. Raise up the prophets and the seers, the apostles, pastors, and teachers. Cause us all to walk in our unique design and our unique gifts. And I bless you all mightily as you go today. In Jesus' name, amen.